Hello and welcome to another session of Music Matters with Ev. And I am so pleased to say that we have in the studio with us someone who has had such a profound effect on my musical experience. Welcome, Katerina Heinrich. Thank you so much, Everton. It's good to see you after and all these you, years. Wow. And you too. Are you okay? I'm okay. Well, good. Good. Okay, so without any further ado, I'm sure that we're going to find out so much. So I want to dive straight in. Who is Katerina Heinrich? I ask myself the same question every day. <laughs> yeah, someone else every day, I guess. Um, no, seriously, I mean, that that's, that's a very difficult question. Um, and, and it's, I think, for a lot of artists, I believe it's it's a very difficult question because I think that a lot of artists um, can grapple with their identity a lot. Um, and maybe that's due to this kind of sensitivity that mm. kind of comes with the job, comes with mm. the territory, mm. where you are, you are very, um, your senses are always kind of out there and pick up a lot of things and you feel constantly inspired. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can feel overwhelmed, mm. um, and and also um, regarding your own character, you know that that you have a lot of interests. Maybe um, I know a lot of artists who have um, several different kinds of passions, or their interests are very intense um, regarding certain subjects and certain techniques, even you know how to do things uh, and genres as well. And um, I, I'm no exception. I wake up every morning and I, I wonder, like, what role am I fulfilling today? Am I going to be the writer? Am I going to be a musician? Am I just a human being who chooses to do this or that at any given day? So it's a very hard question to answer for me. <laughs> but I know that one thing that I really love in life is for sure music. And it comes very naturally, and it always yeah. happens. Yes. So. so, so give us very, very good. Oh, Katerina, I'm just going to ask you something which I should have done before we've gone live. If you could just position yourself slightly to the right. Mm -hmm. That's it. I'll tell you why. Because there's a logo at the top right of the screen. Ah, uh, yes. And you're, you're, yeah, that's it. That's perfect. Lovely. Okay, thank you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is live. Okay, right. So. Tell, tell us about your musical journey from the start. Well, my family, my, my grandmother, her name was Bettina von Bechtholzheim. She was actually quite a well-known opera singer, concert singer. Mm. Mm. And so um, from, the, from the female line, generation-wise, I, I think I got a lot of that musicality through my grandmother and then passed on to my mother, who also sang a lot, played a lot of nylon string guitar. Um, and she kind of like put me into this tiny, um, tiny taught musical group that was based on this philosophy of Karl Orff, um, this Austrian philosopher who felt very strongly about discovering your musicality through percussive instruments. And that really, that group and playing with these percussive instruments and having so much music around me like totally inspired me mm. and i don't look back from there like because it's been just part of me so much this this mm. uh, approach as well to um 
to not have music placed upon you like mm -hmm. as a concept from the outside mm -hmm. but to let it kind of unfold from the inside and to discover mm -hmm. it by this playful ex experimentation mm -hmm. and not by fixed concepts so you know mm -hmm. even with jazz there are certain concepts like how you should play chords and which chord should maybe follow another chord um but i always liked the approach to try things out and to just see how they sound and then mm. to make the decision whether it kind of sounds right or not and mm. and not let that decision be made by by other philosophies or by by structures that were already in place by someone else in a way uh you what you're describing katarina is so it's so apt because music has is almost like it has a life of its own and what you're yes. what you're describing is letting that life develop yeah and letting your your relationship with it develop and everyone has their own relationship to music there's no two relationships the same right. and even on a daily basis the relationship could change it's definitely like an entity by itself that you know that you can communicate with that you can let into your life, that you can reject, just like a relationship with a human being. You know, I feel like I'm in a masterclass. Okay, so what about what about the very first time that you performed, per se, as a musician, as a singer-songwriter? Can you remember? No. <laughs> no, I, I really can't. Um, probably as a teenager, maybe, Maybe not in school, but I remember once um, playing in in a, in my school, playing an Irish an Irish song for my for my you know project. I had this project called Ireland, and I learned an Irish ballad that I played in front of class. But I had performed previously before that, so mm. honestly, I can't remember. Okay, so at the moment, I know that you're from Germany. Mm -hmm. So when did you, because our paths crossed when you were in Bristol. Yeah. Um, and that was when you were staying in Stroud. So when did you make the transition from Germany to the UK? I didn't. Um, I arrived from the UK from Ireland. I lived in Ireland prior to that. Oh. Seven years in Wicklow, Ireland uh, and Dublin partially. And um, after that, I moved then straight to Stroud, Gloucestershire. Yeah. Wow. So what was music like for you in Ireland? It was wonderful. It was actually like my my mother emigrated to Ireland when I was 17 and I decided to, to do the same. So we emigrated in, at the same time. And I then immediately immersed myself in the in the Dublin music scene, played at all the open mics and uh, eventually then also played live gigs in pubs. And that's like that's what my life was in Ireland for a long time, that I just played live in pubs, met different musicians, played with different musicians. And really at that point, I was deeply into folk, really like folk. Yeah, that was kind of my thing. And then gradually kind of advanced to John Martin and Nick Drake. And then you started to have these jazzy influences already. And then it kind of went from there. But Ireland is just like, if you have a love of music and then you discover Ireland as a country, it's kind of like, 
I don't see it as a big surprise in a way because Ireland is the country for music mm. and Ireland is music and any mm. person that you would meet on the street would be able to sing. Mm -hmm. I don't think you would find many Irish people that wouldn't sing or mm. wouldn't play an instrument. It's almost impossible. Mm. So right. you can really immerse yourself everything is just music the countryside is music the, the ocean is music the people are music it's <laughs> everywhere you can't get away from it i wonder if the irish tourist board are listening <laughs> <laughs> and actually also what's amazing about ireland which i only found out way later and never really took advantage of it but um ireland is one of the only countries in the world where as a musician you just basically don't pay taxes you just what? don't have this and no matter how much income you have i believe like that's why you know maybe a lot of musicians try to have their first residency in ireland uh even you too or you know whatever bands uh if they're really irish and they're truly based in ireland and can prove that i believe to this day there is no taxes on your income <laughs> and that's and the reason why is because ireland is a bardic you know, a Barden country. And it has such a history of music that it's like deeply ingrained in the culture so much so that it actually seeps into the into the tax system, which is amazing. <laughs> amazing. All right. So thank you for that. I'm going to ask you now because I remember there's so many things I want you to go over and share with us that I've experienced meeting you and um, understanding about your musicality and your musical journey. I want you to tell us about the time when you started to learn the guitar. It was an experience where you were staying somewhere and that yeah. was the only instrument there. Yeah. Uh, my mother owned a, a um, dilapidated, haunted, it has to be said, house on the total countryside, like with no access to anything. And um, I decided to uh, have a retreat there an unlimited retreat of however long I needed. Um, and it was pretty scary because uh, you were there, um, around you were only ruins, literally ruins of castles, ruins of barns and cows, you know, cows and sheep, that was it. And then this strange house with a massively enormous acoustic because the, the, the ceilings were really high, the roof was really high. Um, there were no curtains or anything like that. So everything just reverberated a lot. So whatever sound you made was amplified in quite a beautiful, flattering way. Mm. Um, and my mother, I think, or a friend of the family had left their old guitar there. It was a nylon string guitar. <laughs> and um, always this nylon string coming in again. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point you can just imagine you know when you're there and there is nothing there's literally only countryside and the only thing you can do is just i don't know um enjoy the silence enjoy the wildlife and the nature and after a while you 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 want to do something else and then there was this guitar standing in the corner so i just kind of messed around with it and again, it was I was so not uh, used to playing a stringed instrument in a way that I kind of developed my own style of playing uh, because I kind of had to because I had no reference at all. So mm. I actually started to pluck it like a harp. And mm. so the the very very first album that I um, that I 
recorded in a way of all the songs that I composed in this house in this period, they all sound like I'm actually playing a harp. So mm -hmm. it's very hard to hear that it's actually a nylon string instrument. Mm -hmm. And if you if you like in privately, I can send you some recordings of that and you will <laughs> hear what I mean, because it's really weird to have the guitar played in this way. Mm. But it's the only way I knew. Mm. And because of the acoustics, it was such a magical experience to pluck two strings and listen to what kind of harmony they create. Mm. It was all about like harmony and how mm. different strings sound together. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, what fascinated me like most in the beginning, the acoustics and just the softness of the strings and the, the softness of the of the nylon strings and the the intervals that were created by you know plucking different strings. Mm, wonderful. Right. So what brought you then to Stroud, to the UK, to Stroud? Um a lot of different reasons, but it was kind of a point in time where I needed a change of scene. I needed a change of, of my life. Um, and I had a colleague at the time uh, who uh, had done an assistantship um, in a kindergarten in Stroud, and she um, she knew that I needed a change, and she said, you know what, um, you know, I can just, so I went to Stroud for a few months, and, and I came back, and I immediately had to think of you, because I think that you in Stroud, that would just be perfect. You would be so happy there. You should just go there. And that's what I mean. uh, well, I have been there to take part in a performance, and I must testify that the audience was very, very comforting and receptive. Yes, uh, it was. It was a really good, good experience. So I, hmm, you've you've given me something to think about, and. <laughs> what's what's really amazing about the place is also that um you expect from a from from a place with that um with that little amount of citizens um you expect um a kind of a that sounds terrible but a kind of an ignorance in a way or 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 not such a worldliness in a way because it kind of goes with a small town you know people are busy with their lives and um, art usually is, is not a, a big thing in the foreground at all. And yet Stroud is so different from other places because it's very worldly and it's very, um, very um, in the front of like ahead of its time in a way regarding so many different issues, mm. uh, which is so unusual for a small town. So mm. I actually wrote a love song for Stroud. I, I, I don't have it recorded, but I have a love song for Stroud, and it's a very important song. Very mm. important lyrics. Well, yeah. right now I'm going to tell the viewers how I met you. And I was working on radio. I was working on local radio at the time, and I was doing a magazine program, which enabled me to go and see things, interview people, and come back, edit, and then put it out on the show. And I remember I went to a performance where you were one of the artists. And I sat down and you started playing and the voice, the sound, the overall sound was beautiful. 
But you know what made me come and talk to you afterwards was the fact that you sang a song that lasted just over nine minutes and you kept that audience engaged. In oh, that, gosh. In, I don't, I don't remember. That, I know. I'm going to remind you the song. The song was about your experience trying to make it in oh, the yeah. music. Oh, yeah. SAE song. Yeah, that's I remember. That's the one. I just thought, that wow. Envelope. That, that's what it was called. <laughs> that was just amazing. I just thought, I need to go and talk to this young artist and find out more because that was just, I've never seen that before. Somebody keep an audience captivated for over nine minutes on one song? So tell us what 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 where did that come from? Well, it it was um, it was basically a musical description of the of the process that at that time um, a lot of a, a lot of me a lot of colleagues of mine and me went through because we were applying for gigs and we were applying for playing at weddings and we were applying to be played in the radio and we were applying for uh, record deals and so on. And the deal at that time, because, you know, email wasn't really available at that point mm. um, and YouTube wasn't available at that point. Um, so we still had this old fashioned um, approach of like recording CDs making a flyer you know getting it mm. to the printers putting it mm. in an envelope and the deal was that you always had to use a self-addressed envelope if you actually wanted to ever hear back from anyone <laughs> and even when you did that and you did everything by the books it was very unlikely that you would ever actually get that envelope back <laughs> so that's why the song was called self-addressed envelope and it kind of describes the often frustrating process of getting all these parcels ready and writing letters that are very polite and are very appealing and make yourself sound really great. And um, <laughs> so the song is really about that. Yeah. Amazing. And then that led to a collaboration which changed the my experience of being a guitar player. I thought I was a guitarist until I had to go and change my approach. So I'm grateful to you because since I've changed my approach, I haven't looked back. And that's why <laughs> that's why you've had such a profound effect on my musical experience. What about you? There was a time when you told me you went to America, to New York, was it? Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. What was that like? It was really a big... It was a life changer for me. It was really, it, it really changed my life. I remember it quite clearly. It was 2008 and um, I felt like I'd done everything and been, you know, been to a lot of places and felt quite isolated in a way at the time. It was like a phase where I was um, studying or just about to study. Um, and it was a phase where I just longed for something different, longed to be somewhere else, longed to experience a totally different mentality, a totally different way of thinking. Um, and I had been very afraid to go to America for many years and always had refused when friends of mine there had invited me. But I got at the, I was at the point where I felt like, no, now is the time. I, I, need, a diff I need a change. And I, I, I was very, very nervous when I arrived, um, 
but it just blew my mind. And at the time, the first time I went there, the very, very first time, my virgin time to New York, um, was actually um, spent in a in an um, African American community in Brooklyn. Um, that was uh, not that um, undangerous. It was quite. Um, there was a lot of crime happening at the time. Okay. Um, and my friend lived there at the time, and so I stayed with her. And I just got immersed in in the in the in the scene in the community very quickly there in the short time that I was there. And it just totally blew my mind because um, because of the fact that it was a um, uh, African American community, there was black music everywhere, mm-hmm. and I'm like the biggest fan of black music. In fact, mm-hmm. I can probably not even dance to any other music. <laughs> so for me to be there in the summer when they blocked off all those roads and created road parties, street parties, where they had these massive ghetto blasters playing this amazing black music, like real funk and stuff, but like really, really loud with a fat bass that, you know, reverberated, <laughs> like all the buildings, the brownstone buildings were reverberating <laughs> from the space. And you see like children and grannies and old guys dancing like crazy on the street together in the heat, like it was 30 degrees Celsius. And they also like opened up the the fire. Um, what do you call it? Like those fire, the the water fountain, fire hydrant. Fire hydrant. And they kind of it was like semi legal to do that because they just wanted to have fun and they wanted a refreshment. So they just opened it and the water just totally splashed out. At the same time, this black music was like playing and everyone was together barefoot on the street, just dancing their socks. Well, they're non-existing socks up. <laughs> and um, it was just a total revelation for me. And like all my fear of life and everything just melted away on, in that afternoon. I was totally blown away. And I was especially touched. And I still have that video by this old guy with some kind of like um, a walker or what do you call them? This you kind of the, metal metal yeah, thing. The, the frame that he yeah. works with, yeah. And he, like, basically, he started to almost, like, make love with this frame. (laughs) He was like, this black music was playing, and he held the simul frame, and he was, like, you know, putting it in the air, and then putting it down again, dancing around, making these sexy moves. And I'm like, yeah, that's the attitude. That's that's the spirit. That That is where the music comes from. This is where it came from. Now I am in the source. I'm actually in the source and that was like a really profound moment that afternoon it was like one of, like i'm so glad i have a video of it <laughs> that's Truly amazing profound. so it's it's a wonder that you came back then <laughs> well I, I i went there every year ever since <laughs> so really yeah oh every, my year gosh. every year for three months yeah what yes <laughs> apart from uh 2020 i presume and yes okay. exactly okay okay so what i'm what i'm gonna do we're gonna tap into a few other things but what what happened what how were you musically active up to 2019 did you move back to germany 
Yeah, I mean, I was like in Stroud, I was extremely musically active. I had a lot of gigs uh, with really incredible musicians. I released a lot of albums. Um, then I decided to do a music degree in Dartington College in Totnes. Um, did the three years, finished it, bachelor, um, bachelor with honors. Mm. And then I moved to Germany. Uh, actually, it was um, the time, 2009, there was the swine flu. Mm -hmm. I got the swine flu. <laughs> oh, you did? I so did for a month. I was like really struggling to, I, I really thought I couldn't make it. My lungs mm -hmm. were like really bad. But I decided, okay, um, I can't be in this moisture uh, environment. It was very moist at that time in Stroud. Mm -hmm. And I decided to just go to Germany and go to the sun and just mm -hmm. see if I can well at least. And I had a friend mm -hmm. that I, can, I could stay with. So I stayed with him. And in two days, after two days of sun, my lungs dried up, my bronchitis mm -hmm. dried up, my whole illness dried up, and I was well. Mm -hmm. And then he... He told me that there are some people who want to learn the ukulele. I had started um, to play the ukulele in New York. Um, and these people wanted to learn the ukulele. And I, I, I started to show them a, a few things. And they told me that I'm such a fantastic teacher that I should consider doing that for a living. Mm. And then the word got round. And before I knew it, I had an entire career as a ukulele teacher teacher mm. i didn't even plan that. so parallel to that career of teaching ukulele and giving workshops i also you know had a lot of gigs with musical colleagues that i met in different venues in a lot of really great venues in germany at the time some mm. of them has closed down since then mm -hmm. some still exist but a lot of them have closed down since then mm -hmm. um and um, yeah, so there was this one thing about playing live with different musicians and another to teach. Wow. And I hadn't really taught, like, hadn't really taught ever. I hadn't really taught music beforehand very much before. Mm -hmm. And I always envied the colleagues that I had in Stroud that were always teaching. And I always thought, gosh, you know, what would that be like? But I never really mm -hmm. delved into offering anything. Mm. Um, and then I got so into the teaching and so into that mode of, of um, encouraging other people to be musical that I kind of like um, put my own musical career in the, in the back, in the background, mm. really. Mm. Mm. Um, and and just, it just happened very naturally. Mm -hmm. So I was still doing stuff, but um, the, the emphasis and the focus was really the teaching. Mm -hmm. And the actual composing for students, that was like one of my main passions at the time, was to create a book of, um, of ukulele pieces that were really fun to play in an ensemble with different people, where mm -hmm. some people would play the groove, and some people were, would play the melody, and whatever their level, they would be still able to play it, and it would be accessible, mm -hmm. the tunes would be fun, they would be playful, they would be jazzy, and everybody can have fun. So Excellent. I developed this book and I composed one piece after the next. Some were like wings, some were more folky, and they were really popular um, amongst my students. They loved them and we had a lot of fun. Good. So 
what about what then so, so then tell us now how did you cope when 2020 hit march 2020 how did your musical world <laughs> respond um it's it's a strange it was a very strange time and um one of the th things definitely happened for me was um one of the main main things that affect me about it is that in society at large even before corona there was always this unspoken thing that there's something not quite serious about music or art in general yeah that it's mm -hmm. something that is either a luxury or is mm. something that can't quite be taken seriously unless it's mm. very famous, like, you know, Damien Hurst or whatever. Mm. Um, and that it's, that it's something that otherwise is not really relevant to life, mm. not like food mm. or like, you know, like mm. health or care work or, you know, uh, IT or whatever. It's, mm -hmm. And I think that throughout the ages, it has always been an issue that artists always were struggling with you know finding their identity and finding this pride within themselves that it's okay to be an artist and that it's actually also a worthy contribution to society and mm -hmm. that that has always been like when when you read about different artists through the ages you will come you you will come up with that subject time and time mm -hmm. again mm -hmm. um in poetry in whatever you know art form and certainly that really that is already very relevant before corona arrives you know that um how relevant is music you know how how well is it established in in our society how well is it regarded how well is it rewarded you know um and there's this joke of course as well you know like um you know you often hear from promoters when an artist applies for for a gig that you say well you could just you know a few tunes in our restaurant for for an hour and then you know we'll give you a free meal and mm. and you should be grateful mm. for that mm. and then you see these, these jokes on facebook like okay the restaurant well you just give us give us a few meals and we'll eat them and then we'll just see if we like them you know maybe one day we'll, we'll pay pay you for it and nobody would do it right Nobody would do it. Of course, you pay for every meal, so you have to play. Play. You have to pay for the music too. Why should the music be free? You know, it's a, it's a myth that artists uh, can live from from love and air alone. It's a myth that needs to be debunked, quick. So, um, so I think that Corona and this and this thing that happens. I don't know how much it's in England, but in Germany, basically musicians and culture is the thing that was uh the thing that now is not allowed you know you can't have gigs you can't give workshops uh restaurants are not are closed cafes are closed uh and the whole cultural branch basically is can't be really active it's it has like a um yeah it, it it's not allowed at the moment it really isn't gigs are not allowed um so this whole issue that has already existed before corona you know how how relevant is music to society is now is now even bigger 
and has kind of has has become or the government has kind of confirmed what everybody already so suspected that the government also considers us the artists as not really worthy members of society mm. you know? mm. and so never has that been more um openly shown mm -hmm. never has that been more uh in the in the foreground mm -hmm. like now mm -hmm. agree so in terms of your activity then i presume that you are able to continue teaching uh online yes and also in person but only one one oh yeah. you can you can you can visit one to one uh you can have households together if it's one person you can be with another person from another household so to speak if you wear masks indoors and you have the window open that's okay okay wow um but no workshops no groups no gigs apart from a very unusual gigs there's a website called a sofacerts.com i think it was it's dot com or dot de for germany and this is a great concept because people can book you to, to play in your backyard and uh, so you can play for someone's birthday for instance and you can arrive in their backyard and play for them and they can stay indoors with the windows open and you can serenade <laughs> them and they pay you you know something or someone else pays you and hires you to do it for them uh, and you play a concert for them in their backyard and it's safe and they are indoors with the window open you know they can hear you they can see you they can experience you but they don't have to endanger themselves mm. so this is the way to go and i've had several bookings through sofa concerts so far um including one gig that i played for a duke for an actual duke mm. who, who turned 80 and his daughter hired me to play for him Ooh, and uh, he was, he happened to be a jazz piano actually so he loved all the jazz songs that i played and he was able to sing along with every one of them which was really Lovely. sweet excellent yeah god that's that's something for your scrapbook <laughs> indeed indeed all right so what i want to do now is ask you about the future how do you see the future unfolding Who knows, who knows how the pandemic develops? Who knows which human rights we will get back and which ones, you know, will be suspended for whatever time. I think a lot of that depends on decisions that are going to be made on how the pandemic is going to be handled. Um, so it's very, very hard to make plans at the moment. There's no point in me printing out posters with dates when some workshops are happening won't know when the lockdown is going to be and that makes it so very hard to plan at all what i'm doing right now is i'm i'm producing a lot of songs in my you know home studio and and make videos um make videos of of songs that i really love playing um and singing and hopefully get some more gigs through you know sofa concerts some backyard concerts and then we will see we will see what happens um it's good to continue giving online concerts i give online concerts as well at the end of the month at the end of march i'm gonna give another online concert on facebook 
I have a lot of colleagues who have weekly concerts um, online, Facebook, asking for some contributions if possible. Um, really talented colleagues of mine, Tommy Scott being one of them, who is an amazing pianist based in Cheltenham. I've worked with him on my third album. He plays every week on Fridays on Facebook, and I love being part and of the show and watching him play. He's very gifted. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's it's, um, it's challenging. It's really challenging. And uh, my, on my list of to-do things is is basically just making a lot of videos so that people can see what's out there, what I can offer, and um, and take it from there, basically. Okay. And what advice would you give to anyone who may be thinking of taking up some sort of musical career or activity? Um, I would say do it for the sake of it first. When you, when you are in, when you are being creative, forget everything and give in to that that thing, that relationship and whatever it wants from you. And uh, don't think beyond that. Um, and just um, do really do it for the sake of it. And whatever comes after, you can you can think about afterwards. But in that moment, don't think of it, of anything else. Mm. And also, yep. if you are if you are seriously thinking about doing music, um, know that a lot of flexibility is 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 going to be required. A lot of flexibility in in many on many different levels, and a lot of nerves. You need strong nerves because it's not a particularly predictable world it's not <laughs> it's definitely not now <laughs> not 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 just from from not just from the point of view that it's not predictable because you never know when your next composition will come but also from the point of view that you don't necessarily know when your next gig offer will come or when your next student will arrive um you just don't know these things you can do your mm. best in promoting yourself but then a lot of a lot of things are really up to an unknown quantity and so it's also good when you embark on, on a musical career to have something else that you that can ground you whether it's mm -hmm. like a tiny little part-time job or it is just another passion that you can also delve into to just get a bit of a break and a, get a bit of a perspective from it that's for me it's upcycling like sewing and doing crafts is for me like the really nice balance between music because mm. it's so different. Mm. Um, and also, you know, teaching is, is also a nice, um, a nice break from actually doing music because it's, you're giving something to someone else. You're encouraging someone else's musicality. And mm. it's, it's good to, to find at least one more thing that, that you can also do. Um, mm. And then, I think it's, it, to me, it feels more balanced that way. Mm. Mm. Excellent. So before we go through the fun question, I want to ask you to give us information where we can keep in touch with what you're doing, where you've got a website or your Facebook link and so on and so forth. Sure. Um yeah my my current website which is in dire need of changing uh, mm -hmm. is called musicwhatelse.com 
music, music what, what else.com dot com yep uh just have i have i got time to explain something about that link or about the of course name of, of course of course okay. so basically one time when i really doubted being a singer and a musician in stroud i went to this life coach and told him that i really think i should just be a secretary because you know i just have too many doubts about who i am and what i should be doing and he laughed in my face really cheekily and said everybody here knows that you're a singer how come that you don't know that you are a musician what else <laughs> and so i was so shaken by that conversation with the life coach and i had i was so encouraged to continue being a singer even if i doubted that i took the the thing and, and made it to my you know my address and, and my website so music what else don't wow quite right so if we go to that website can we find out about your future workshops your current recordings your videos your performance anything that we can hear your music is that can we get it all from that yeah, website like different buttons and uh, you have like a button for gallery you have a button for um for the for um videos you have you have also access to the button goodies where you are straight uh, straight led to the uh, products that I sell, which are my albums, uh, which are my ukulele books for ensemble, um, which are my poetry books. Um, there's a lot of products and merchandise there um, that you can look at, and also you can contact me. There's a contact site where you can just literally directly contact me, and then I can give you the current information. Um, about what's happening. So that we can get all that from musicwhatelse.com. Exactly. And my YouTube channel is uh, Cat Music What Else. All, all one word? All one word, yeah. Okay. So that's my YouTube channel. There you can see all the latest and also old uh, YouTube's, YouTube videos. Yeah. And um, I don't have a Facebook page with my musical stuff. So those two things are at the moment the main um, the main contact and the main the ways of seeing my music. Brilliant. Thank you very much. We will be well. I, I'm always keeping an eye on you, but I know other people now will join me. So this is the final question I want to ask you, Katharina. Yeah, if, I'm sure. <laughs> if the year 2020 was a human being, what would you say to him or her? Oh, wow. Bugger off. <laughs> um, apart from bugger off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the first thing that comes to mind, really. Bugger off. <laughs> But you probably want something much more profound. So no, I don't no, know. no. I've heard we've we've heard all sorts to that question on this channel. So yeah, that's that's direct, and that's kind of to the point as well. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not alone with that sentiment. No, the very first person I interviewed said that as well. <laughs> so. 
So it's gone full circle. All right. Well, Katerina Heinrich, thank you very much for thank you, entertaining too. us uh, on Music Matters with Ev. And what I'm going to ask as well is, obviously, we want to do this again, because obviously things change, your music develops, opportunities happen. So we want to keep in touch with you and make sure that everyone can know what you're about still musically and so on. So if, if that's okay with you, we'll be we'll be doing this again. I would love to. Yeah, but, I would really. But, in, but uh, in the meantime, you take care and thank you. Thank you. Please stay healthy.